reason why we selected that song this morning is because in our lesson today, we're going to try to spell out God's love for us. And I say try, he said that no words can do it, and that's right, but we, we keep on trying anyhow. Let's turn to 1 Peter. We'll read verses 7 and 8. Let's read 6, 7, and 8 so we have a complete sentence. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And you remember that lesson that we had last week. Whom having not seen, you love. In whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this portion of thy word how it's blessed our hearts this past week, how it's blessed our hearts through all of the years that we've been reading thy word, and yet this morning we stand anew upon fresh ground, upon holy ground, and we thank you for it. We thank you that we're learning every day as we read thy word, that it becomes more precious to us, that our Lord Jesus Christ becomes more precious, that the things of eternity are more precious, and we pray that for each one that hears and listens this day, listens by tape, at any time. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning, we've got a lot of scriptures to look into, and there's going to be a good many of them that I'm just going to give you the quotation. If you've got a pen or a pencil... I would suggest you get it out and write them down so you can follow, because we do have a lot in the lesson. It's long, and it's long because it's so good. It has just blessed my heart this past week from Monday morning to this very moment, and I hope that it blesses your heart too. You see, in verse 8, the first few words says this, Whom having not seen you love. Peculiar, isn't it? Isn't that something? A good definition of faith is in Hebrews 11.1. 1. I'm just going to read it to you. Write it down. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Here it speaks of things, some things not seen. What? The great promises, new bodies, new heaven, new earth, no sin. Hebrews 11.3, faith that all that you see, the sun, the moon, stars, were made, no, not made, were created out of nothing by the word of God. How simple it is to get answers from God's word. The creator is spoken of in the book of John, the first three verses. He starts his book just like Genesis, in the beginning. Why not? He's talking about the same thing. He's talking about God, about creation, about the beginning. Now in John 1.1, 1, 1, 
whoever this word was made all things. Let's turn over there a minute. We can turn to that one. We're not in that big of a hurry. John 1, 1. He made all things, and in verse 3, uh, he says in verse 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made. And when we get over to verse 14, this somebody says was made flesh, that this word in the beginning becomes flesh, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And he lived with men here on earth, and a few Men like Peter, James, and John, and others beheld his glory as he lived and died and rose again here upon the earth. Now the Apostle Paul, our special preacher, a pastor for Gentiles, gives us a little more detail in Colossians 1, 16 through 19. I do want you to turn there. Colossians 1 verses 16 through 19, page 1736, if you got the old big print Bible. Verses 16 through 19 goes like this. For by him, speaking about Christ, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. You know, we just read... Can you, is it any wonder that they don't want this book in the schools? We just shot down the whole educational system in the United States on those verses. That's why they don't want this book in the schools. You know, people say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. He was born in the stable. He's Jewish. He did a lot of great things and he said he was the son of God. Yeah, I believe. No, they don't believe in him as God. They don't believe in him as creator, so that's why the book is out. Don't think it's out just because it happens to do with politics and religion. And Uh-uh. It's because man don't want the Lord Jesus Christ as God. Every little kid in our country is taught that God did not create anything. Every high school kid is taught the same thing. And in college, they all get the same thing again. Yet most of these people go to some kind of church. That's all they do, though, is go to church. Oh, I wouldn't miss Mass for anything. I go to Mass on Saturday night. I go on Wednesday or whenever. They, they won't miss a Mass for any kind of high day or anything. What do they learn? They don't learn a blooming thing. Not one thing do they learn. And they go there all their life. They do not worship the God of the universe, who is also the God of salvation. Now, here's a simple equation. If you believe in evolution, you do not believe that man is lost and needs to be saved. In short, you don't believe in God. Now, a very sweet and intelligent science teacher told me when I asked her about her thoughts on evolution, 
said to me, all the scientific facts and evidences prove evolution. But I still believe in a supreme being. I said to myself, and almost out loud, in the first place, in order to be really scientific, the fact must be observable. This is what the definition of science is. Observable facts. I said to the teacher, you know, there's not one, not one so-called fact of evolution that's ever been observed. We know that was the end of our conversation. I didn't want to get in no fight with her. She's sweet. She's nice. She's a good teacher. She's blind. <clears throat> I thought about her statement later. A supreme being. What does your supreme being do? What are its powers? What are its limitations? You see, Satan gives faith too. You have got to have some faith to look around you at midday when the sun is out and the beautiful white clouds and the birds of all kinds of colors are flying through the air and into the trees and gardens are growing and flowers are blooming and children are singing. Or at midnight, when you go out and you observe the, the moon and the stars and all that glory, you've got to have some faith to believe that it happened by chance. Boy, you've got to have a faith to believe that. Psalm 119, jot that down, read about the nighttime stuff. All right, Peter tells us, whom having not seen, you love. We enter here into secret places where only God's people are ever permitted to enter. Amen. Our definition of faith before out of Hebrews 11.1 1, mentioned things. Now we see that the gift of faith unto eternal life is in a person. Verse 7 finishes with the words Jesus Christ. Then verse 8 says, you never saw him, but you love him. This is, this is, this is something unnatural for man. This is a very unnatural thing for man to love anything he doesn't see. He loves what he sees, and then he continues to love because he sees the object of his love. And songwriters aren't stupid. They know the nature of man. How many of you have ever heard that little song? It's an old song. It's not no modern song. But it says, when I'm not near the one I love, I love the one I'm near. That's man. You see, but salvation is supernatural. How does this love affair start? God's word has all the answers. 1 John 4.19 says this. Jot it down in the scripture. We love him because he first loved us. That's good for starters. Let's get a little more detail over the same chapter, verse 10. That's 1 John 4, 10. It says, herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So far, what have we done in this love affair? You're right. Nothing. How do the scriptures bring that out? Well, look at Romans 5, 8. 
got that one down. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in verse 6, says, In due time Christ died for the ungodly. Now what do we have? We have ungodly sinners. Well, you say, if Christ died so long ago, how do I know he'll save me? You know, where do I fit in? I know the scripture says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But I'm a sinner now. My life has been just a series of lying, cheating, stealing, drinking, smoking, cursing, laughing, crying, wandering down the middle of life's wide highway that I now see leads to hell. I'm rotten. I stink. I don't trust myself. And no one knows the real me. I haven't even got the strength to open God's word to read it when I know I should. How could God love me? When? Hold on a minute. Hold on just a minute now. God's love didn't start yesterday. When you said, Lord, if you'll do such and such for me, I'll quit doing this and that for you. Boy, everybody makes a deal with God sometime in their life. You know that? Everybody does that. God's love didn't start at Calvary where Christ shed his blood. God's love goes back into eternity where our names were entered into a book called the Book of Life. That's in Revelation 13, 8. When God's got it in his word, put it down, it's good. You were a sinner even then. You were a lying, cheating, stealing, adulterous sinner whom God set his electing love upon back in eternity. Why would the lamb have to die, bleed and die back in eternity if you weren't a sinner? Calvary was the public display of his love toward you. It was also his public display of his hatred for your sins and mine. The one event covers his love and his hatred both. Now everyone that has his or her name written in the Lamb's Book of Life suffered and died with Christ on the cross. That's a strange statement, isn't it? There's no picking up strays along the way. There's no new joiners. Man is not inclined ever to come to God on his own. He is drawn by God's Holy Spirit, and only those owned or elected by God and given to Christ are the only ones God's Spirit brings to Christ. You're not a stranger to God. He doesn't commend his love to strangers, but to individuals he set his love upon from eternity. Now get your pen ready. A few scriptures for you to jot down to see what I just said. Revelation 13.8 says the Lamb's Book of Life. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. I said we've all died with him on the cross. Paul says, I'm crucified with him. 2 Timothy 2.19 
there's no new joiners. It says the foundation of God standeth sure. John 6:44. No man comes to the Father except he's drawn by the Father. John 17 verses 2, 6, and 9 all say, Those whom thou hast given me, given to Christ. 2 Timothy 1, 9. Saved in Christ before the world began. Now those are scriptures that just tie up that paragraph I just said to you before. Now you're not born with this knowledge and you're not taught this knowledge in school. Our Lord said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's Luke 19.10. No person is ever lost in his own eyes until God's Spirit called the Comforter by Jesus himself in John 16.7-11 through 11, quickens that soul, Ephesians 2.1. This word quickened means given life or made alive. Yet what you are made alive to is the fact that you are dead in trespasses and sins. You're a captive of Satan and a slave to lust. 2 Timothy 2.26 Now what means does God use to do this work in a sinner's heart? Preaching. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and 21 says, By the foolishness of preaching. Preaching what? Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians 1, 23. Paul says to a young preacher named Timothy, Preach the word. That's 2 Timothy 4, 2. He says, Tim, now you know how you knew these scriptures since you were a little tyke. 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. Now that you're grown, get out there and preach Christ, the one lifted up in those scriptures. Preach the Word. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. John 1, 14. And the Word was made flesh. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, how can these other people play religion and not know these truths? I can't understand it. All right, up to this point, what have you done? Uh-huh, you're right again. Nothing. Nothing but sin. But you've listened. You've read some. You're hearing about and reading about someone who set his love upon you long before you were ever born. This someone is, first of all, the creator and owner of everything you see and everything you don't see. Hebrews 1-2. Let's take a moment and turn over there because we're, we're forgetting how to turn the scriptures. Hebrews 1-2. Verse 1. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake and time passed unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. His power extends to knowing your every thought and the words that you speak. 
That's our God. That's Psalm 119, verses 1 through 4. Now, if he knows our thoughts, uh-oh, if he knows our words, we're in trouble. That's rather embarrassing, isn't it? And if that is so, then I'm a goner. There's no place to hide. Just my thinking and my speaking are a tremendous load of sin. Wait now. This one you're learning about from the scriptures speaks out from the scriptures to you personally. You see, this is the living word speaking. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yes, that's for you from him. This is not just words in a book. This comes out of the book and is personal to the sinner's heart. It's the living word making the written word alive. Amen. You can take that statement to the bank. It's as good as gold. But what if I'm too filthy? He might not accept me. Look, I didn't read any conditions in that particular invitation except for you to come to him. It seems that you should be tired of working and carrying your burden and you need rest. Seems like that's the simple conditions. As far as him refusing you, in John 6.37, he again speaks of the eternal love gift when the Father gave you to Christ. He says that they shall come. And do you know what? There's not one clean one in the bunch. They're dirty, crippled, diseased, hungry, and tired. And they all come to Christ to be washed in his blood. His blood washes and cleanses the filthy, makes the crippled and diseased whole, feeds the hungry and gives rest to the weary. And he says in John 6, 37, yet, I'll in no wise, no way, no chance that I'll ever cast them out if they come to me. Boy, that's a great promise. They are my precious children. Hebrews 2, 13, jot that one down. I want them with me forever to behold my glory, to share my love forever. John 17, 24. You see, my dear loved ones, sons, daughters-in-laws, nieces, nephews, sister-in-laws, students, teachers, janitors and friends, whoever hears this by tape, whoever hears it, period. When you want the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything else in this world, he will save you. Matthew 10, 34 through 39. His love woos you to him. Then like Peter says, whom having not seen, you love. You know, it's repeated in that same verse one more time to get the point across. 
in whom though you see him not, yet believing, believing in Christ, believing his promises, knowing him by faith, we rejoice with a joy that only believers can understand. And besides being happy, we receive the salvation of our souls. Can we know this? Of course we can. Turn to 1 John 5, 13. Everybody says, oh, you don't know nothing until after you die and go to, go to the judgment, or after you die you'll know it all. No, that's not the truth at all. 1 John 5, 13. He says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, that's a great statement. That's great. By reading and knowing God's record, he says, you can know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God with confidence. See how he mentions confidence in the next verse? With confidence you can believe in him. But you know that you have eternal life. Nobody can take it from you. Can't buy it from you. Can't do a thing with you now. You're his. Can you imagine eternal life? We've been spared. We've been bought. Our Lord Jesus Christ bought us out of the slave market of sin. Is it any wonder that we love him? All being sinners, with not one thing to commend us to God, the difference between the elect soul and a damned soul is this. The elect come. They come to Christ. And the rest, even though very religious and knowing a lot of truth, are like the Lord said in John 5.40. Turn to John 5.40. It's a good scripture. It's a warning scripture. John 5.40. And you will not come to me that you might have life. That's a tough statement. Simple one, small. Many are anxious to hear the truth. It rings a bell with them. They know truth from error. But what do they say to themselves? This is what they say to themselves. Don't fool with my life. Don't fool with my lifestyle. I'm not ready yet to be called a nut. There's too many little things I like to do. I can't see any harm in a little drink. I can't see any wrong in a little dancing. And some quit smoking, go to chewing, and whenever that happens, the scripture oh, it comes to my mind. Let the filthy be filthy still. That's Revelation 22.11, so you can put that one down. I can't afford to give to the work of preaching. I can't budget that much into it. Now listen, I'm not singling anybody out. 
I'm only telling you about those who don't come. I'm telling you about the pebbles, not the stumbling stones that you will come over when you come to Christ. And may God the Spirit give you grace to come to Christ. Call unto him. Cry unto him. He will answer you with mercy, grace, and eternal life. John 10, 28. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. And neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Isn't that great? Wonderful promise. Again, the book's full of promises. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Boom, they want to throw stones at him. That's no good. He's not God. He's only a man. He's only Jewish. That's what they think. They want to kill him for that. That statement is there for you and me to worship our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. That statement is there for you and me to understand a little more about the Trinity. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and the Lord Jesus Christ are one. They operate individually. They're one God. I like verse 27 up there too. My sheep hear my voice. That's what I just got through telling you. They come. The real sheep hear and they come. And I know them. Of course he knows them. He knew them from eternity. And they follow me. That seems to be the hard part for the sinner, the following. Let's turn back to Peter. Yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. What do you mean, unspeakable? Well, words can't express the thoughts of your heart. Words can't describe our Lord Jesus Christ. The joy and the glory within a believer's heart is something that you can never get across to an unbeliever. Now, a believer will say, you're right, I know that, I know what you're talking about, the same thing, what's God, I should say, well, then tell me about it. But you can't. You can just say, I just can't believe it. I just can't believe. I can't believe that he'd even save me. Much less eternal life much less to protect me and watch me and give me precious promises and to have a mansion ready for me. I can't explain those things. Joy unspeakable. They're full of the glory of God. What do we receive for? The end of your faith. What's the end of your faith? Salvation. See, we already read that you know that you have eternal life. A lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people think, oh, well, I've got to die first. Or, uh, I've got as good a chance as anybody else. When we die, we'll find out who... Uh-uh. You're going to find out in this life. 
If you don't find out in this life, you're never going to find out that you have eternal life. You'll have an eternal life, all right. It's going to be an eternal life of punishment and suffering. Promised in this book, the same as the precious promises are, those are the fearful promises. And they're just as true and just as real as the precious promises. Strangely enough, anybody you talk to, they all believe in heaven and nobody believes in hell. And there's more funny jokes made about hell than more funny jokes made about heaven because that's what they would like it to be, a joke. But it's reality. Now, next week we're going to go into verses 10 and 11. We can read them right now. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. You see, the prophets, though they were great men, many of them, wonderfully protected by God himself and given wonderful messages and even given whole books to write that God wanted in his word. Yet, they did not understand the day that you and I live in. It was never, it was never in their thoughts. They could not picture an age of grace like this. No sacrifices, no doing this, no doing that. A time when a person believed with his heart on the one that died for him. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? Just to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That sounds so easy. The thing of it is, it is easy when the Lord Jesus Christ gives you faith to trust him. See, you don't have any faith. Every preacher practically in the United States says, turn your faith loose, just trust him. Hey, you haven't got any. I'm going to tell you that from God's word. You don't have a thing. Faith is a gift of God. Faith is a gift. It's so clear in Ephesians 2. Read it over and over and over again. Faith is a gift. If God gives you that gift, you can believe in him and you'll have eternal life. That's why you got to cry. That's why you got to beg. Say, oh, I don't want to be a beggar. I can't stand that. I'm too high class. Sure you're too, too high class. You know, hell's going to be full of high class people. Just full of high class people. The first 350,000 rows is going to be high class people. You're going to be a beggar. And you'd be glad to be a beggar. You'd be glad to enter heaven's back door if it was possible and sit at the back door of mercy. Just be so glad just for a sight of the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the one that makes us love him. God first loved us and that's why we love him. The scripture tells us. See, this scripture wouldn't have made any sense in Peter, whom having not seen you love. He said, huh, that's so silly. It's because God first loved us and then he proves it to us and then he woos your heart to him. And then you fall in love. You don't fall in love with him right off the bat. No way. You hate him. 
You really don't want anything to do with his holiness or righteousness. It's a wooing process. It's called the new birth. May God have mercy upon all of my people. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you this morning for this serious hour, enjoyable hour with a visit of our Lord Jesus Christ back into eternity. Speaking of the love that thou didst have for this people, for this sinner, while they were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That part of sinners is so important that we realize thy hatred for sin, which makes thy love so unusual, so wonderful. We ask thee to bless this to the hearts of our people, and that I will bless the service that follows. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.